Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we'll delve into John Wood's Twitterverse and Tom Cruise movies. We check out the Orville and make some new series survival predictions. It's time for a top three turf war. This Friday we're getting yet another Tom Cruise flick. It's like America is just not tired of Tom. And you know what? Quite frankly, I'm not really that tired of him either. Whenever I'm not he's tired in a of movie, him at all. I know. Whenever he pops on the screen, it's kind of welcome. It's like an old friend and he's going to be very, very Tom Cruise-y. And, you know, we know what to expect. And I like that. Me too. So we have a top three turf war of the best Tom Cruise movies. Not the best performances. The best movies that Tom Cruise is in. Ivana, why don't you start us off? All right. I am very excited with my number three pick, Collateral. Oh, that's a great movie. That is a great movie. It's super suspenseful. Uh, It's been a while since I've seen it, so I'm not going to pretend that I remember every aspect of it. But I will say that I was... I remember being blown away. I saw it in theaters. I thought it was a fantastic movie. I thought Tom Cruise did a really great job in it. And it was one of those suspense flicks that really had you captivated right from the beginning all the way to the end. Can't agree more. Tom Cruise as a bad guy. We need to see this more often. You know what? Tom Cruise, when he takes those non-traditional, non-hero roles... It's probably my favorite Tom Cruise. Whenever he's not being typical, like, you know, protagonist in Cocktail or Top Gun or whatever he's super known for, those are the times that I'm the most impressed by him. I would agree. He he has a lot of range when he decides to use it, when he's not running down a a jet or something like that. uh, He really does have a ton of range, as I think... My number three on my list will illustrate that uh, him and Jerry Maguire was the that's first time. That's number three on your list. That's number three on my list. And him and Jerry Maguire was the first. I mean, first of all, Jerry Maguire is a very personal film for me. Me too. It's the it's the movie that I walked out of and I realized that movies were not going to be just a passing hobby or like something small in my life when i walked out of jerry Maguire after cameron crow eviscerated my 15 year old brain <laughs> maybe it was that age i don't know uh <laughs> i know i was young i know i was a teenager when he, he he destroyed me with this movie i realized that movies were going to mean something to me so jerry Maguire holds a very personal place for me in my heart so before jerry Maguire. You just thought movies were like fun and no big deal. That's right. I just thought, uh, you know, movies are going to be this little thing I like to go to with my friends and it's just a pastime. Then I saw Jerry Maguire and I realized, oh man, this is going to be more than that. This is going to be one of my passions in life. Wow. I can't believe that a Tom Cruise movie was like the awakening of you knowing how important film was to your life. Because- Let's be I don't honest. Know why that happened? I think that that's kind of shocking. Like, don't get me wrong. 
Jerry Maguire is a great movie. It has so many quotable lines, so many amazing performances for something that is, I guess, technically a rom-com, kind of. See, I argue that it's not a rom-com. I argue that it's a sports movie dressed up with the love story on the side. Everybody remembers You Complete Me, but really it's about this guy who is completely drowning in his life and it's the people around him who have to pick him up he he's not the one really who delivers even though the movie kind of says he does it's everyone else in his life who he surrounds himself with who lift him up and become a better person I completely agree I think that that actually is part of why to me I still classify it as a rom-com but an elevated rom-com, you know, the kind of rom-com that sits in the level of something like When Harry Met Sally, which is just in, you know, film history, I don't know, like golden age. It's it's elevated. It's better than a classic rom-com. It's smart. It's saying something about the world. But at the end of the day, what it's really talking about is love, but in a way that's real and grounded and not like your typical rom-com, you know, like 10 Things I Hate About You or whatnot. I agree. I I agree. There are a lot of rom-com-y tropes to Jerry Maguire, but I still love it. What's your number two? My number two is Tropic Thunder. I knew Tropic Thunder would land on your list. I knew of it. Of course you did. He's I feel so like much fun in it. He's so much fun in it. It's one of the best Tom Cruise roles, in my opinion. But more than that, I just love this movie. I really like comedies. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that in some ways, I like the extremes of all movies. I like the super scary movies. I like the super drama movies. I like the super funny movies. And Tropic Thunder is exactly that. It's funny. It's poignant. It's intelligent. But it also has this whimsical air. And Tom Cruise in particular stands out in this movie partly because at that point in his life as a celebrity, he had kind of fallen out of favor for a while. And I would argue to say that Tropic Thunder reinvigorated his career, partly because he made fun of himself and partly because he did a role that was a little bit out of the norm for him. I've also got to say the thing about Tropic Thunder that's amazing is it gets better as you watch it. Um, Not a lot of movies on a second, on a third, on a fourth watch, you get more out of it. Tropic Thunder really is the movie that the more times you watch it, the more you realize how intelligent it is, the more you realize what it's trying to say. It's utterly an impressive feat for what a lot of people would just call a summer fun comedy like The Hangover, like a rated R comedy like The Hangover. But it was also more than that. It was a commentary on war. It was a commentary on the filmmaking of movies. It was a commentary on where we were in that particular moment of, I believe, like the late 2000s. And Tom Cruise just helped to elevate it to that next level. And I mean, let's not pretend that the this movie had blackface in it. And it did it in a way that did not offend people and somehow, like, made it funny because it was satirizing itself and satirizing the fact that people actually used to do this as a legitimate art form. It's hard to argue any merit to blackface, but you put Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder in this and it actually is shockingly impressive. And Robert Downey Jr. sells it because he doesn't believe anything's wrong with what he's doing. 
Exactly. Yeah, and you love your man Jay Baruchel, who like basically grounds the entire film. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What's number two? My number two is a Spielberg flick. It is Minority Report. And I I don't know if I've ever talked about Minority Report and how much I love it. I think this movie is one of the best sci-fi action flicks that of ever, of all time. I'm going to put it up there with, with, you know, people's love of Alien and Blade Runner. I love Minority Report. And I think if you got someone who was not Tom Cruise in that lead, the film would not work. I can't. For me, I cannot picture a better lead in this sci-fi action-packed Spielberg flick than Tom Cruise. You know what? I also love Minority Report. It didn't make my list, but it totally made my honorable mentions. I think that we should do a take two of Minority Report, even though we both liked it. We both liked it. It's been so long since I've seen this movie. I don't remember any of the details of the plot or anything. I think it would be almost like a new viewing for me, except that I recall that I really liked this movie, but I'm not sure why. Maybe we come up with a brand new segment that's like, don't remember it. <laughs> What's your number one? My number one flick is Jerry Maguire. Whoa! You snuck that in there. I snuck that in there, and I didn't want to tell you when you had said it and you had put it in your number three. But you know what? I love Jerry Maguire. I think it's so well written. I think it's one of Tom Cruise's best roles. And I think that the film is really grounded. I mean, I know I called it a rom-com, but as I said, it's different than your average rom-com. It's a lot more interesting. It's a lot more intelligent. It has a lot more going on with this movie. And I think partly it's because of the fact that it also has that sports theme and that career theme and that concept that as you get older, you sometimes get swayed by what the priorities of life should be. And that's ultimately what I think this movie's about. Well, I guess Jerry Maguire is going to make it into the top three. Yeah, it sure is. (laughs) Well, my number one, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because I have in past podcasts, and that is A Few Good Men, which I bet you still haven't gone back to. Rob Reiner, Aaron Sorkin, this movie is dynamite. So if you haven't seen A Few Good Men yet, I highly recommend it. Um, You can also go back to our episode where we did the letter F and I go into greater detail. But uh, because I have, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. A Few Good Men, I love that movie and it is my number one Tom Cruise film. I totally forgot that Tom Cruise was in it. As you know, I have not seen it, obviously. I really need to. Maybe we need to make it a segment to get me get me to be able segment. to watch this Ivana movie. hasn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh But I you think know we have I- a little bit of a chore here. So Jerry Maguire is on both of our lists. I think that we split the difference and we put Jerry Maguire at the number two position. It's number three for you, number one for me. I think it lives in number two. All right. That makes things tricky because it was your number one. Does A Few Good Men go to number one? I think so because I'll be honest with you. I really want to see A Few Good Men. I haven't seen it. As you said, we've talked about it at depth not that long ago. So for those of you who are listening, if you hadn't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it because we do go into great detail about all the great things about A Few Good Men. I should Um, just say really quickly, 
Tom Cruise is overlooked as one of the best parts of the film. He is the star of the film, but people really get on that Jack Nicholson, uh, you know, I'm on a wall speech that happens near the ending of the film. But Tom Cruise is a different kind of lawyer in this movie. He like is so laid back. You know, he plays baseball and softball and that's his only care in the world. And then this insane, like crazy trial lands in his lap and it is go time for him. And I I just have to say Tom Cruise is really good in the role. So you're going to like the movie when you see it. Ivana, I, I I promise you that. So what's going to number three? We got Minority Report left over, and, and we also have Collateral. Hmm. Yeah. What was your and Tropic two? Thunder? Tropic Thunder. So I because, would advocate Tropic go Thunder goes on that list. But it's a strange thing to put. Like he's got like ten minutes of screen time to say like the best Tom Cruise movies are these movies, and he only has ten seconds. Maybe, but his 10 seconds literally reinvigorated his career. Well, I would argue that Magnolia reinvigorated his career. No, it was after Magnolia that he ended up like jumping on that couch and being with Katie Holmes and all that shit. Stop. Yeah, I know, but people were like, you don't remember the tame, the the pussy and all of that. People were like quoting that for, for like years maybe but like i don't think that that reinvigorated his career he was at the top and it was only after the whole katie holmes and couch incident that suddenly people didn't want to see tom cruise movies anymore and that's why i say that this reinvigorated his career his 10 minutes in this movie did more for him than many of the other things he's done in his whole career what was your other collateral collateral but I'd be I I'd be fine with saying this is a battle of minority of a report versus Tropic Thunder. Well, I mean, Minority Report is basically a straight whodunit movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it obviously, it takes place in a future, and there's a lot of questions about morality. And if this person never committed the crime, how can you lock him up for committing the crime? Uh, you know, it's it. it there's a lot of psychological questions that come out of this. But Which it's, movie? But it's a, I mean, it's obviously an action you think Minority comedy. Report. Or, pardon, say it again. Say yours again. Obviously you think Minority Report is better than Tropic Thunder. Why? Oh, I think Minority Report is better than Tropic Thunder because as a whole, it's, it's very cohesive. Like it's, it wraps itself up very nicely. You have a, almost a, twist ending that that really knocks you on your ass the special effects are outstanding the whole way through you are riveted um and i think it does say a lot about where society could head in a dystopian type future i love a good dystopia and i love a commentary on the future but tropic thunder also delivers on its promise of making you laugh from beginning all the way through the end surprising you and in fact i would say taking new journeys that most comedies don't take like it's not your typical comedy i don't love tropic thunder the way you love tropic thunder really i i originally saw it and did not like it one bit you didn't like it your first viewing yeah on first viewing i did not like it i didn't expect what it was because it goes in these dark, dark, rated R, crazy, like it's almost like the first Pineapple Express to me. And and I, well, I didn't like Pineapple Express. And you didn't Express, like Pineapple Express? No, I didn't like Pineapple Express. But um, Tropic Thunder, 
it grew on me on second viewings. Uh, Minority Report, the first time I saw it, it was great. And the last time I've seen it, it was great. Uh, there was never a moment of hesitation. Uh, Tropic Thunder, I for me, has lulls. And it has some things that aren't – they're almost too cringeworthy to be that funny. Okay, like what? The full retard. Oh, right. Yeah, that and, – and to be honest, you're right. Like that's not so funny any longer to use that term. In fact, even when the movie came out, I would say that that term was on its way out for society. I mean a lot of people credit that as a really, really funny part of the movie – the first time I saw it, I was like, holy shit. And then it's never really been that funny to me, but people quote it all the time as if it is like really, really funny. You um, know what? I think that I might be swayed by that argument alone because that aspect of the movie to this day, I never thought it was funny. And to this day, I don't think it's funny. I think it makes fun of a group of people that really shouldn't be made fun of. And well, the, it, the film makes fun of a lot of things. I just think that that part is the meanest of the things they make fun of. Yeah, and like I, I don't I, think it's funny. I don't, I don't think, think it funny. was funny when they made fun of it, and I don't think it's funny now. I, I think you've swayed me. Okay, all right. So I think we've got to listen. All right, let's count this down. In the number three spot, we have Minority Report. Number two, Jerry Maguire. And the number one Tom Cruise movie is... A few good men. Good list. All right. What are some of your like honorable mentions? Okay. This went on and off, on and off, on and off. And it is Rain Man. I've never seen Rain Man. Oh, see, we could put in that cat in that uh, segment that we're thinking of doing. Rain Man, the only reason I think I ended up taking it off is because it's more Dustin Hoffman's film. He owns it more than Tom Cruise. Right. Like most people, when you think of Rain Man, you think of Dustin Hoffman, for sure. Totally. Then I have uh, my one of my favorite movies and not yours is Edge of Tomorrow. Right. I like Edge of Tomorrow, but I don't love it. I don't think it's anything special. Mission Impossible. I just said the Mission Impossible movies except number two. And then my last one is Collaterals, which which was on your list. Right. All right. So for me, Interview with a Vampire. I love Holy that movie. Holy shit. I, that is a good, like, that is a pull. It's a really good movie. I don't think that the movie itself holds up enough. I've seen it about twice, maybe three times. When I was a kid and I first saw it, the movie just held my attention like you wouldn't believe. But then when I saw it again in high school and then when I've seen bits of it since then, it just doesn't quite have the same pull, but it's still a really solid movie and it impresses me every time. The other one, which I know that a lot of people dislike, but it is one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies, Vanilla Sky. Oh yeah, I don't like Vanilla Sky. You don't like Vanilla Sky? I love Vanilla Sky. I think it's a really fun movie. I saw it in theaters. Um, it's kind of depressing, but I also think it holds a lot of truth, and I really liked the sort of circles that it draws in the realm of time and reality and all of that. That is a great movie to add to our list of take-two movies. Good call. What else you got? You know what? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's time for a break, and not only that... I can see you. 
you can see me. We're video chatting, Jay and I. I'm in America in a mostly empty room. Um, and the last time we did this and I was in my house that I'm like barely moved into, uh, there was a lot of echo and it affected the sound of the podcast. Um, but I just couldn't live under that blanket any longer. I couldn't see Jay. We That's right. Ivana built a fort. And it was really hot in that fort because it's September and for whatever reason, it's still in its 30s. Yeah, I know. I love it. It makes me so happy. It probably makes you really sad, but I love the heat. I'm going camping this weekend and thinking, oh my God, these nights are going to be awful. All right. Well, okay. Tell me about this camping thing. You're going camping this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. I planned something with my brother and basically uh, before the wedding you know, we were going to go stay in a yurt in a national park. Uh, so what is a yurt? A yurt is a canvas tent that I don't have to set up. I arrive. It's set up. It's like a little hut. I, I, I need like, I need more information. That doesn't, I'm a non-camper. I don't understand what you're talking about. You need to like give me more information here. Okay. So if you think of African huts, the big circular ones, this okay, is yeah. like one of those that has canvas wrapped around it and a canvas roof. And inside there's a couple of cots that you can make into beds. And that is, uh, that's the yurt. So does this mean that you guys won't have like mosquito netting and all that kind of stuff? I don't, no, 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 no. We don't have mosquito. I've never gone camping with mosquito netting. I know, but like if you're in one of those like modern tents, once you do have that zipper, there's nothing getting in or out. No, 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 no. And I mean, it is late September. I think the mosquitoes are dead. Oh, I went out for dinner tonight and there was a mosquito. Really? Oh my God. What'd you have at dinner? I I went to a Spanish restaurant. Ooh. Yeah. And it was quite delightful. We had tapas and gazpacho, which is one of my favorite foods of life. And did you have a, did you have a, a, a Spanish wine? I did. Uh, I had a, I had a few glasses of Spanish wine. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like pretty with it, but I would not drive at <laughs> this very moment. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. Nice. Is that in like walking distance from the place or that you're at? Absolutely. When you yeah. come, I'm so taking you there. I have, I have Spanish wine to consume when I come there, which is great. <laughs> I should make a trip soon. Uh, yeah, and then we'll record here and it will be unbelievable. This just in, last week. All right, it has been honestly forever since we've done this segment. But I think that what we're about to talk about is just so more than movies that we couldn't ignore it. So James Woods criticized a gay relationship between a 17-year-old and a 24-year-old. This is a fictional relationship that is depicted in a movie that is based on a book called Call Me By Your Name, starring Army Hammer. His tweet was specifically, and they quietly chip away the last barriers of decency Hashtag Nambla. Now, I didn't know what that was. Did you know what Nambla was? I've never heard of Nambla. Okay. So for those who don't know, Nambla stands for North American Man-Boy Love Association. Um, What's that? 
What does that mean? I don't I don't 100% know. There's a website that is uh, dedicated to this. I didn't spend much time on it. Literally, I just looked up what does this acronym stand for? And to be honest, I don't think we want to delve into all of the stuff that is associated with that topic. Yeah, good call. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a little heavy for us right now. So going on, after this, Army Hammer tweets back, didn't you date a 19-year-old when you were 60? I believe in actual fact he was 59 when he was dating the 19-year-old, but that 40-year difference is just a little bit more than the five-year difference between 17 and 24. And Amber Tamblin got in on it. She's friends with Army Hammer. And she clapped back at James Woods, calling him out and reminding him that when she was 16 years old and he was much older than 24 at that time, he actually met her at a restaurant, her and her friend. She wasn't famous at the time, and he hit on her and suggested that she head off to Vegas with her and her friend. At that time, she said, well, sir, I'm sorry, I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually 16 years old. And he responded with, even better. Ugh. That is some disgustingness. I know. And this is coming from the guy who's currently frowning at a relationship between a 17 and 24 year old. The other part that we have to we have to come back to, it's a movie. You're not yeah, hitting on some girl at a restaurant. Yeah, like a real hit on. Yeah, who's 16? What did he say, Jay? What did he come back with? Oh, I don't know what he come back with. What did he come back with? Well, he came back with saying... One, that the initial relationship is illegal because 17 is technically under the age of 18, which is legal age in America. And two, that the second thing that Amber Tamblin wrote is a full-on lie. I believe Amber Tamblin. I'm going to tell you why I believe Amber Tamblin, because I do not, in a million years, trust anything that James Wood says, ever period, dash, whatever. There's something about that man that is not trustworthy. Totally. And I mean, let's be honest here. If you're basically at retiring age and essentially dating someone who has like just turned the age to be able to vote, you don't really have a track record that proves that you have a discretion about age and dating. But what I want to get into is where are... Like, when are we living right now? And what's going on in the world today? Like, why is it that James Woods feels so comfortable essentially throwing shade on a consensual relationship, potentially because it is depicting the love of two men, um, and, and hiding behind the fact that one of them happens to be 17? Is this because of Trump? I don't know if it's because of Trump. Like... It's easy to just throw everything at Trump and say, because he's here, people are more open to come out and be hating and uh, be bigoted and pig-minded and all those things. I think that was always there. I think what President Trump has done is he's been a little bit vocal on Twitter, and it's given some of these people who have the same views to be vocal on Twitter as well. Um, but I don't think that these views were created at any given time. I think these views have always been rooted in James Woods. These views have always been rooted in these people. 
Now it's just like, oh, I can talk about them? Really? Okay, maybe I will. I mean, I, I think I agree with you, but I think that that's the big change. Like over the past few years, perhaps the past year in particular, people have become a lot more comfortable being open about their prejudices, their bigotry, their racism, etc. Where prior to that, the world was trending towards a place where people were more accepting of others. I also think this has to do with fear. I think a lot of people who are not ready to live in a world with this much change are now saying, oh, I have to say something now. I have to be radical now. Because if I'm not, then the world's going to change and I won't have had a say. So the James Woods of the world who like clearly frown on probably gay relationships in general are like, I'm watching what's happening to the world. I don't like what's happening to the world. If I don't say anything, it's just going to change without me having said anything. To all those people, I actually, I have a message. I read a book recently, and I think it's a really great book. And if you're in, undergoing a lot of change in your life, as I have recently, I highly recommend it. It's called, Who Moved My Cheese? It sounds really stupid. It's really simple. It's like a, a super short story. Uh, and it was written by this man. And it, I, I just think that, Everyone who's afraid of change should go out and read this book. It's a simple story about these little people who live in a maze, who got used to living near some cheese, and then all of a sudden they wake up one day and the cheese is gone, and they're like, hey, where's my cheese? I want my cheese. And they're all outraged that the cheese has moved. But at the end of the day, sometimes the cheese moves, and if you don't move, you'll starve. This is Top Drawer TV. We watched the first two episodes of The Orville. It's a Fox show in the US and in Canada it is on City. But we're only going to summarize the first episode because, you know, time. Spoilers ahead if you have not watched The Orville. If you live <laughs> If you live in Canada, you can watch it for free at citytv.com. Uh, Sorry, maybe I'm, do you I'm, work at City TV? I, listen, <laughs> listen, my work is all consuming right now. <laughs> you know what? It I think it's amazing. It is premiere week and I am going crazy. <laughs> uh, so anyways, beware of spoilers ahead. All right. So we open in a futuristic scene with Jetsons-like flying cars and very familiar music. Yeah, it's Star Trek music. Totally. And there we meet Ed Mercer, played by Seth MacFarlane, and his spouse, Kelly Grayson. And a blue alien that she's sleeping with, like right then, right at that moment. Yeah, it's super awkward. So, fast forward, one year later, Ed gets the opportunity to be the captain of the Orville, a mid-level exploratory spaceship. This is a huge career goal for him, and great news his best friend gets to come along for the ride as his helmsman. But the bad news is his cheating ex-wife is now his first officer. We meet a lot of fun humanoid crew members. Everything is very familiar. It feels like Trek, but it's 
It's more casual and realistic. Like the crew are allowed to drink soda on the bridge. Yeah, that was never allowed in Trek. Nope. Okay, so back on the ship. Things are not going well between Captain Ed and his first officer, Kelly, and it's making everyone tense. The Orville is on a mission to deliver supplies to an outpost, but like every few minutes, the drama between Ed and Kelly totally gets in the way. And when they get to the outpost... They discovered that the request was a decoy. It turns out the scientific outpost has invented a machine that accelerates the flow of time. This thing can end space hunger, but it can also be a very dangerous weapon. Right. So as the Orville is about to call for backup, you know, to protect the invention, a technician who lives in that outpost, pulls out a phaser, and it turns out he's a double agent for the Krill. And in the blink of an eye, one of the scientists falls into the death ray machine and, of course, dies because she ages super fast in a really short amount of time. And it totally reminds me of the original Star Trek series. So now the crew of the Orville must work together to keep the laser safe as the Krill attack the scientific outpost and seize this weapon. In the end... Kelly and Ed work together, and they save the day. But mostly Kelly. And in the end, Ed asks Kelly to stay on as part of the crew permanently. We also find out how and why Ed got the captain post. But we won't but spoil that But we won't that spoil you. that. First of all, did you like it? Oh. My. God. I just want to say that as a big, like, and I cannot underestimate how much I love Trek. I love Star Trek. I have seen almost every episode of Star Trek that has ever come into existence with the exception of Deep Space Nine, which for whatever reason I can't get into, but it just doesn't feel like a Trek show. This is Trek. Wait till Discovery. Ugh. Like, this is the thing. Even just from watching the trailers, the Orville felt like Star Trek... Star Trek Discovery felt like Star Wars or something. It didn't feel like Star Trek. And watching it, it's lived up to every expectation that those trailers put into my head. And I I don't know if the trailers had the same expectations for anyone who isn't a Trekkie. But as a person who's seen, you know, the original series, Next Generation, which, my God, is just the most brilliant thing ever. Uh, Voyager, which is awesome. And even, um, what was that one that was really bad that came after Voyager? Enterprise? Enterprise. I even like Enterprise. I mean, most people shit on Enterprise. It's got some really good things in it. Here's my take on the Orville. I shouldn't like it because I don't get it. I don't understand. It, It makes me feel like I'm a teenager again when I watch it. It makes me feel like it's not something of today. It's like something of the late 80s or 90s. And everything about it feels like it's trying to work against what's happening. But it all works. What feels like it's working against itself? Because to me, everything comes together in this amazing, I don't know, melting pot? (laughs) Well, the thing is, is that it's a Seth MacFarlane show, and with all of the Seth MacFarlane I've ever seen, this is the least funny. This is the this is the thing that is it is more of a drama than a comedy, as far as I'm concerned. And I just 
I, I think that's amazing. And when I went in, I did not expect that. But every part of it, I loved. I wonder if that's the big thing. Because this show is, I mean, for anyone listening, this show has been panned by the critics. Like, the critics all basically said this show sucks. And yet. I know. The people, the people who watch the show, the people who consume this show, we all love it. I mean, maybe not everyone, but I know I love it. I know you love it. I'm telling you, if Star Trek Discovery sucks donkey dick, it does not matter because I have the Orville. I don't even care. Like, I, I'm I'm 90% certain that Star Trek Discovery is going to be awful. And you're right. I don't 90. care. Oh, that's right. I forgot about our last series, Survival, where you said that it's not making it to season two because you're crazy. Oh, I, I'm not crazy. It's not making it to season two. People aren't going to watch it because they're not going to stand for the fact that it's not Star Trek. And I think that's part of the tar- the charm of the show. It's clearly made by someone who loves and appreciates everything that Star Trek is, but then they're elevating it to this new place because when Star Trek was first created, it was the 60s. There was a certain thought about where the world was going, and I think the world is going to a different place. But certain aspects of Gene Roddenberry's vision, I think we we are still moving towards. Like Gene Roddenberry envisioned this future where there wasn't racism and people were more interested in exploring and gaining knowledge than they were in fighting and creating war. And that's what this is about. Uh, but the, the big difference is that in the 60s, because it was coming from the 50s, things were still like super formal And people thought that formality was the way to the future and egalitarianism. But nowadays we realize that... No, it's it's about casual being together and understanding one another. Totally. Being together, being human or humanoid or whatever, uh, and just accepting people for what they are. And that's what the show is. And it's awesome. So thanks for listening to this podcast and getting the real reason on why we all exist. It's to be around each other and understand each other and then we will get to live on the enterprise that is basically the moral of our podcast here today is is kind of like be excellent to each other if i can put it into bill and ted terms so that we can live on a spaceship all right so next week we want you to tune in once again as always for another top drawer tv this time we are going to watch The new Netflix series, the first episode of American Vandal, which is uh, which is on Netflix because it's a Netflix series. Uh, So please join us there and uh, we'll talk about that next week. Series survival. Series survival is back. I think I love it. I love this segment. The fall is the best because that's, I think, when you get the most serious survival. So for many, many weeks in a row, we're going to be doing this. And then in the spring, we're going to give you the updates and we're going to find out who has the best predictions and who has the worst predictions. And I just want to, you know, mention some facts. When we did this the last time around, I, I won. I just, I had better predictions than Jay. I'm not no. saying that I'm better than Jay, but I am I'm not saying gonna, that... I'm, I'm putting it out there. She cheated. She cheated. Okay, I'm sorry. 
How can I possibly cheat in knowing the she's, future? She's a fortune teller. I don't believe in fortune telling. <laughs> I'm just clearly. You don't have to believe in it. You just are. I just, I obviously have a better handle on what shows are going to hit with audiences and what shows aren't. Well, you know what? I've spent an entire year working in the television industry. I got you now this time. And this time we are starting with Wisdom of the Crowd. Wisdom of the Crowd is a a crowdsourcing crime drama. Yes, it looks like it's a bit of a mix of a procedural with a strong through line that'll carry you through the season. I have a feeling that it's going to take heavily from the format created by Veronica Mars. I hope so, because from what I've seen, I think it's going to get canceled. What? Yes. Jeremy Piven is leading this show. It's CBS and... You think that this is going to get canceled? I think it's going to get canceled. I don't think they have enough to go through. And the last two years, I have seen this technology show try to get off the ground and neither have been successful. Maybe this will be that time, but I'm banking on those other shows failing and that this will too. Well, I'm going to completely disagree with you. This show is getting renewed. Jeremy Piven is going to kill it. He's back on TV since HBO. And this is a guy who doesn't need to be doing television or anything that he doesn't want to do. And frankly, that trailer looks awesome. Do you think the show looks good? Will you watch it? I think I'll watch it. I think I will definitely watch the first episode. I just don't think it's going to go anywhere. I'm definitely going to watch the first episode. I have a feeling I'm going to watch the whole season and I also predict that this show is getting renewed. All right. Okay. So that's our first one. Um, also, I must apologize. Uh, my my darling fiance is running around the house doing some work. It is crazy time in the media. So if you hear anything in the background, I'll try to get it out. Um, but she's just uh, she's on the phone with work at ten twelve at night because this is our lives now. <laughs> yep. The advent of technology means work 24-7. That's right. So next up is 10 Days in the Valley, which I kind of feel is a little up your alley, Ivana. I really like the movie Two Days in the Valley. Have you ever seen Two Days in the Valley? Charlie Saron's naked through half of it. Of course I've seen that movie. <laughs> I, I, I saw that movie when we still had illegal cable when we first moved to Canada. And man, it was Awesome. Um, 10 Days in the Valley is nothing like Two Days in the Valley. No. It is a very cool kind of meta mystery. I would say this is not a procedural. This is like a full through line. It's with ABC, Kira Sedgwick. Is that how you say her last name? That is how you say it. She is the lead. We've got a very strong cast. Uh, she's She's a screenwriter. And um, she's working on a television show, a cop television show, and it hits a little close to home. And uh, she gets a call in the middle of the night one night. She goes out, she writes a draft, and when she comes back into her house, suddenly her house is locked because her office is like, I guess, in a guest house or something like that in the back. Uh, and her child has been taken. Yeah, I. Uh, it looks like it's really trying to capitalize on some sort of murder mystery. 
I'm I'm gonna say no to Ten Days in the Valley. I'm not gonna watch it, and I I don't think it's going to season two. I'll probably watch it at some point, but I'm not racing to watch this show. I'm a little I I'm not sure where I stand on it. Something about this show reminds me of The Blacklist, um, which is coming to season five on City. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's coming to season five on City and an American network that I don't know off the top of my head. Um, and I honestly, if, if you were to ask me when that show first came out, I probably would have said it lasted two, three seasons and that'd be that. Kira Sedgwick has a really, really good like track record of being able to capture that middle-aged, early retirement mom market. And frankly, I think it's coming back for a season two. All right. So you, so, so far, here's where we're at. You have said renewed for the first two and I have said canceled for the first two. That's correct. Let's move on to number three. We are going to an ABC show called The Mayor. And this show, I mean, it. it's a refreshing, Refreshing look at politics. Yeah. But it's also so, kind of like, oh, did he do it for a goof? Oh, he he's now the mayor. But it's refreshing. I think it I'm I'm gonna watch it. It's gonna get renewed. I agree. This show is gonna get renewed. I think this show is gonna get renewed. It's ABC as well, for those who are curious. It's gonna get renewed partly because it's going to latch itself on the backs of the popularity of Blackish, which is an amazing show, but also the current political climate that we're living in with Trump. So this guy's not like Trump, not at all. Um, he's, I think, going to be a really great mayor in this television show. <laughs> I think he's probably going to make mistakes and make some good... I think it's going to be a fun watch. I think it's about a yeah, it's a comedy about a guy who kind of falls into being a mayor of a town. I think that is a great premise. Yeah, you know, if you think back to Spin City, great show, lasted a long time. Haven't had anything like it since The West Wing, but The West Wing was a super drama. I think we're ready. Yeah, I think this is... Okay, so the, the premise of this, the guy's a rapper. He's a wannabe rapper. He wants people to watch him. And so he, he decides to do... To become a... To run for mayor on a goof, to be able to use it as an advertising campaign for his rapping career. And somehow he wins and he becomes mayor. And oh shoot, the her name is escaping me, but she's the lead from Glee. She's in it. Um, and I think that Leah her Mich Leah Michelle? Yeah, Leah Michelle. Her star power mixed with um, the lead guy's charisma. I don't know his name either. I think it's going to carry the show forward to a season two. I think the world is ready for this. And I think television viewers are really going to latch onto this show, partly because I think it's going to be a lot more hopeful than the news. And so that is it for another week of series survival. I think our series survival this time is even more dramatic than last time. We are going up against each other in so many categories. I know. We are two disagreeing. Two canceled versus two renewed. I mean, there are lots of options to screw up in this one. So <laughs> uh, I, I hope you're placing your bets. 
So just a reminder to anyone out there, uh, we told you a few weeks ago, because it takes a little more time to read a book than watch a movie or a TV show, we have been reading The Disaster Artist slash listening, and uh, we encourage you to listen or watch with us. We'll be talking about it in episode 28. And that's our show. So thank you so much for listening, and please be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to help us support the show, we'd really appreciate it. All you have to do is hop into iTunes or any podcast service that'll let you leave a quick rating and review. Do that. It grows the show. Our intro song comes from bensound.com. We encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and our sound effects. Ivana and I love hearing from you. You can reach us on our website, morethemovies.net. Or you can catch us on Facebook slash morethemoviespodcast. Email us at hello at morethemoviesnet Or catch us on Twitter. I'm at It's Ivana. And I'm at Jester J. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back again next Monday with an all new episode. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. Watch more.